preach so I can see everybody. Let's pray. Loving God, we give thanks for St. Barney's, for Stephen and Joe, for all the congregation, those who are here today and those not able to be here. We give thanks for Anton, who has come to make a public commitment of faith. We give thanks for your spirit and that we can, with all of Christ's people, say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It would help if you had your Bibles open at the very first reading from Psalm 133. And then I'm going to take us through, I'm going to go from 133 to um, the 1 John reading, and then we'll end at the Gospel reading. Thanks to Stephen once again to inviting me here. It's always um, a privilege to come um, to any church in the diocese. It's a special privilege to come here and to confirm Anton. And we had a few words before the service, and he was telling me about early days in uh, Lusaka and then in uh, South Africa and a big decision made in 1967. But he'll tell you about that at his testimony. The text I want to take today is the words of Thomas in that John 20 reading. Thomas answered Jesus, my Lord and my God. Billy Graham once said, I had a Hindu student say to me in Madras, I would become a Christian if I could see one. And when he said that to me, he was looking at me. That was one of the greatest sermons ever preached to me. Brothers and sisters, as we reflect on Christ is risen, I want us to ask how Christ lives in each of our lives. In this season of Easter, we hear readings about the resurrection of Jesus. We heard one just a few moments ago. And next week, we'll hear the story of Jesus eating with the disciples. What does Jesus Christ risen and resurrected mean for us today? Anton's coming to confirm the promises that his parents made on his behalf years ago when he was baptized. Confirmation is a public act where people stand up in front of their uh, peer group of faith and say, this is where I stand. I go no further. This is the banner. This is Christ's banner under which I stand. So would you please turn to Psalm 133. Just a short comment. I'm going to basically make a comment on each of the readings. I find the Bible uh, speaks to me every day. I'm sure you do too. And I find it nothing uh, more exciting than trying to un understand it. So you'll understand that where it says a song of ascents, that was the way it was introduced. This was a psalm that was sung as people walked up, ascended uh, to the temple in Jerusalem. It's a psalm about unity. It's not aspirational. It is saying that at the heart of God, there is the desire for his people to be united. This, I believe, is a psalm that was written after the two kingdoms, after King Solomon's reign, had separated, never to be brought back together. The kingdom of Judah, based in Jerusalem, the kingdom of Israel, based in Samaria. And yet the desire of the psalmist was that God's people should be one. And that's why you get the reference 
to Mount Hermon, which was the big mountain in the northern kingdom, and the reference to Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem. Always pray for unity, brothers and sisters, unity among Christians. Let's move to um, first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 2. What happens when someone stands up and is confirmed? They basically say, this is who I belong to. This is the community that defines me. And John was very clear about who he was and where he belonged. I love these opening words. I wonder if you heard them as maybe the early uh, listeners to John's letter heard them. What we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. You know who he's talking about? Jesus. Here is an eyewitness account from one of the great apostles, and this is how he begins his letter. From Jesus calling him in Galilee, from the teachings of healing and um, miracles, to being there at the transfiguration on the top of the mountain, to carrying Jesus' body down from the cross into the tomb. This is someone who has walked the walk and talked the talk. But the purpose is not to boast. It's to enable those who hear what he is going to write and hear about Christ and the importance of Christ that actually in Christ we do not have a truth but the truth. And to have fellowship with the Father and the Son is what we are called into and to be surprised by joy. John uses a favorite phrase that has begun in his gospel, that God is light and all that is against God is darkness. And so that is where he begins in verse 5. The metaphor is profound and leads to an even more profound statement about the blood of Jesus cleansing us from our sins. Maybe, like myself, you were brought up with the Book of Common Prayer. Maybe not. But the Book of Common Prayer has this verse, verse 8, in as one of the opening sentences in the morning prayer service. Verses 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the joy, isn't it? That God is not vengeful, but God is faithful and just. So how might that look? in a recent book to celebrate the life of Billy Graham, his third and youngest daughter, Ruth, recalls a very personal story in relation to her father and her. This is what she wrote. After my failed second marriage, I had to go home. My parents had previously warned me, don't do this. Daddy had even called me from Tokyo to tell me to slow down, but I was headstrong and married anyway. It wasn't long before I realized I'd made a terrible mistake. 
and I had to flee. I packed up what I could in my car and started home. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What were my parents going to say? You've made your bed, so you've got an eye lie in it. We're tired of dealing with you as you get things wrong. As I rounded the last bend in my parents' driveway with these thoughts going around in my mind, my father was standing there. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and said, Welcome home. So Christ does to each one of us. And only in Christ will we ever find the home and the peace that passes all understanding. But the Apostle John is not finished there. In the final words of our reading, that first letter of John, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, there is a description of Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, there's enough here to last a month of sermons or another couple of hours, but you'll be pleased to know the bishop's going to keep it short today. In fact, let me just say this. In Leviticus chapter 16, the priest laid his hands upon the head of the goat and prayed that the sins of the community were put there This happened every single year. And the goat was cast out into the desert. That's where we get the phrase scapegoat from. On Calvary, where Christ died, for once and for all, the sins of all people were laid on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. There's no need for a repeat performance every year. It is Christ's death that breaks the power of death and sin once and for all. And we celebrate and rejoice at Easter that, as the book of uh, Revelation says, the last enemy has died. And we've been given the great gift of the forgiveness of sins. So to the gospel reading, you might like to turn to John 20. And halfway through, where we started, verse 19, evening on the first day, of the week, which was, of course, the first working day of the week, the Sunday. That early morning, Mary, Mary, and Salome have discovered the empty tomb. They've returned to tell the others, and some of them, as Luke tells us, considered it an idle tale. But as the day wears on, the mood in in the house changes, because two disciples come running back from Emmaus, to say that they have met the risen Christ and that he has broken bread with them. The doors are locked for fear of persecution and probably interrogation as to what the disciples had done with the body. But remember also that the Passover festival is still on, which is also why eight days later, a week later, they're still there. Why would Galileans still stay in Jerusalem when, they, when their master had been killed. Well, they were there because the festival was still going. But that's a by the by. And so in the midst of this extraordinary emotion, Jesus comes to them and gives the traditional Jewish greeting, peace be with you. And John is keen to note 
as he will do in his first letter, that the main emotion overwhelming the fear and confusion is what? Have a look. There it is. When he can find it. It is joy. I know it is because I saw it there yesterday. Thank you, Stephen. Verse 20. And the disciples rejoiced. That is the emotion. And the one person missing is Thomas. And Thomas is the only person in the New Testament who asks for a sign of Jesus and is given it. Other people ask Jesus for signs, mainly Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law, and Jesus says, no, not interested, go away. Why? Why is Thomas given the sign and the others aren't? Because of what is the intent of Thomas's heart, that he is faithful and loyal do you know two things about Thomas? Where does Thomas appear in the, um, in the New Testament apart from in this passage? Sorry? Thank you. Can you remember what he says in the death of Lazarus? Great. That's the first time. So you remember how the death of Lazarus... Um, they're delayed in, in Jerusalem. And people say, come on, he's dead. And then finally Jesus goes, and there's a sense of fear that, that something's going to happen. And Thomas, is he running? No, he doesn't run. He says, come on, let's go. If we have to die with him, that's fine. Let's do it. What kind of person says that? What kind of a person says that? Faithful person. What's the other time that Thomas appears? If you've been to a funeral and you've heard John 14, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And Thomas says, so where are you going, Lord? How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. So even though if Thomas is a bit literal and wants a geographical description as to where Jesus is going, the fact is that Thomas is on song and on message. So sometimes, over the years, I've had sermons that get out the howitzer and the artillery and blow Thomas to pieces because he dared to say, I want to see Jesus. But actually, I find Thomas in the Scriptures is faithful, loyal, perhaps a bit sort of, come on, Thomas, this is the third time I've told you. But he's still, he's there, he's in the march, he's going the right direction. And so the next week, almost to the minute, it feels like it, it was the same day, they're in the same place, Jesus says the same thing. And what happens Thomas has said, I won't do anything until I see the marks of the nails in his hands and where the spear was in his side. And Jesus says, here I am. Okay, Thomas, take your hand. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't take the sign because he doesn't need to. He just falls on his feet and says, my Lord, my God. You know, my friends, whatever we face in our lives, nothing 
can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that's why Anton has come here. Anton and I had a short conversation before the service, and I sense his life has been an extraordinary journey. And he sensed God moving in his life for many, many, many years. And you're going to tell part of, hear part of his testimony. But for those of you who are younger, listen to what he says. Hear how God has moved in his life. And always remember that Christ offers us the forgiveness of sins. There is no place that we cannot go, that we can go, where Christ cannot reach us. There is no thing that you can do that puts you beyond the redemption of God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Always remember that. Especially those of you who don't have gray beards and are a little younger. Remember that, my friends. The Lord be with you.